welcome to another edition of Water Cooler Politics. If you remember on my first podcast, I kind of teased that I am trying to get a special guest to appear on our next podcast, and I have been blessed and honored to do that. Um, our guest is Shelby Steele, who is a conservative author, columnist, documentary filmmaker, and a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Dr. Steele specializes in the study of race relations, multiculturalism, and affirmative action. He is a 1990 National Book Critics Award winner for his book, The Content of Our Character, and he is a Emmy and Writers Guild Award for his 1991 frontline documentary film, Seven Days in Bensonhurst. Dr. Steele, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for being with us. This is such a pleasure and such an honor to have you on Water Cooler Politics. I have been a fan of yours for years and was extremely honored when I was able to meet you here in St. Louis a, uh, a couple of years ago. That was fun. I look forward to that again. It was. It was. Do you want to talk about that project a little bit starting off? If you'd like. Sure, sure. Um, you were in St. Louis. Your, your wife and your son are helping you film a documentary. And you can tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's a doc. the title of the documentary is What Killed Michael Brown? And it is a, an exploration of that, that uh, event of almost six years ago now when Michael Brown was shot, and the, the follow-up to that, and the the politics surrounding that and what it, what it means. And ultimately we're trying to make a statement about, about where race is in, in America and, and where we're really at. And, and uh, so that was our, our angle. Our, one of our ideas is what we call poetic truth. <laughs> and poetic truth is the, is the narrative that, that people tell in order to gain power. Right. Uh, ultimately, at any rate, and um, there were many poetic truths that came out of the the Ferguson event six years ago, and we tried to look at that and how the government became involved all the way up to the President of the United States, um, all sorts of of people, in a sense, smelled power right and and became involved and and uh, so that the event itself uh, was, was rather lost. And uh, our, our, our sort of idea is that there's a politics in America that surrounds race, mm. that diverts us from the true problems that we, that we have, which uh, in, uh, continue to be profound and serious. And, uh, and we need to focus on them today more than ever uh, yet we focus on these dramatic events like the, the Ferguson shooting, the uh, George Floyd shooting just a, a few months ago, uh, and police uh, defunding the police, and all sorts of issues that that we generate out of events like this that get us nowhere. Uh, and so we we tried to explore that. I want to ask you a question before I get into some questions that I have of of kind of, of the current events of the day. When you were an undergrad and going through grad school, um, were, was your goal to be the preeminent author on race relations in this country? <laughs> how, did, how did that evolve? 
And were you a conservative in your college years, or when did you make that transition? No, I was definitely not a conservative uh, <laughs> in, in college. Um, I'd like to say that in many ways I was, I was to the manner born. Uh, my parents met in the early civil rights movement mm -hmm. in Chicago in the 1940s. Uh, and, so, and, and they were activists. And so I, I grew up as a, they were founding members of CORE, Congress on Racial okay. Equality. And uh, I was a CORE baby. Our whole life was revolved around CORE. And so I grew up going to demonstrations and Martin Luther King was a sort of Johnny come lately in mm. our house. <laughs> um, so I followed, that's what, that, that was, was my background. My, my passion uh, professionally is literature and, and writing. And uh, so I've tried to sort of, I guess, bring the two of those together uh, in the work that I do as, as an adult. Um, but so, so and, and as you might imagine, that background was very left wing. Yes. My, my, I was a conscientious objector in, in the Vietnam War. We were, we were peaceniks. We right. were civil rights people. We were, I, knew, I never knew people who were not uh, uh, on, the, on the left mm -hmm. and, and passionate about it. Um, it came to me after college. I was the student leader at our college in mm -hmm. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a little school called Coe. We black students got together, we organized, we protested, we took over the president's office, we demanded <laughs> this, we demanded that. And he gave us probably, I think it was eight out of 10 things almost immediately. So I sort of sensed there was, times were changing. Um, I continued, in, continued on in life. All manner of things happened. And it became apparent to me that after the Civil Rights Bill of 64, mm -hmm. uh, Voting Rights 65, we had gotten in America a lot of what we wanted. We were really free. The, the segregation and racism, these things were, were still here, but they were fading. They'd continued to fade. And we've done worse. Mm -hmm. we've, we've declined. We're, we're, not a, we're farther behind whites today than we were in 64 when the Civil Rights Bill passed on almost every single socioeconomic measure. Um, academically, we're behind. Economically, we're behind. On and on. Yeah. Um, well, I thought if government became involved, you know, that would, that would save us. That would be the way out. And, and we'd move ahead. Government did become involved. Um, when my first job was in East St. Louis in the federal government program at uh, and uh, spent three years there. Um, it, did not, it did not do well. Um, and I, it began to occur to me that, there's, that, that the approach was wrong, that we were going to come and we were going to deliver to these poor uh, people. We were going to somehow give them a way up and a way out. And it just didn't happen that way. One of the reasons I think is the fact we didn't ask anything mm. of them. We just wanted the program. Right. Um, you know, was, I remember, uh, was in, in, in sharp decline at that point. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a symbol of, of, of liberalism, and we deal with it in the, in the film. 
uh, and this idea that that somehow a government can socially engineer its redemption, can engineer uh, racial progress and racial development and, and so forth. Uh, it occurred to me that none of that was real. Right. It didn't help me in my personal life as I went through schools, I went through graduate school. I, I had to become more and more self-reliant. Um, that was, everybody around me was. Mm -hmm. uh, it became clear to me that, that uh, we, would have to, we would have to take not just a, a more responsibility in our development, but absolute responsibility. Right. We would, we, if we, you, you hear, I hear that uh, same sort of excuses made today. Well, the, the school in my neighborhood is not any good, and that's why my son can't read. There is no excuse for any human being living in the United States of America to have a son that can't read at the fourth grade. True. If you move, you have to move, move. I moved to find better schools for my kids. People do that. It's a normal way of life in America, you, the point is you get the education. Exactly. You don't wait for, you know, and, and it's sort of a, a kind of personal, individual activism that I felt was missing and still feels missing. Um, we'll burn down Minneapolis, but <laughs> what's the grade point average of all the kids who are doing that? What, what's their future look like? What kind of contribution are they going to be able to make professionally in this extremely competitive world that we live in, yes. where many people have advantages over them? Uh, the struggle is going to be harder, not easier. You know, in Clarence Thomas's book, he recounts a story during his undergraduate years when he was at Holy Cross, where he was a, a black radical. He said he wore dashikis, he had the black fist, um, and then something happened that changed his life and he prayed to God and asked God to take that hatred um, out of his heart and he became a conservative. Did you have a similar experience? Uh, yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I know Clarence, count him as a friend. We've talked about it. We compared notes because <laughs> we're about the same age, went through these things at the same time. Um, I got on an airplane, flew to uh, Algeria, to Al the city of Algiers uh, in, the, in the late 60s, because the Black Panthers were holed up there. They had been given a, a, a mansion in, uh, to, as an uh, asylum from America. And this was the time when they were hijacking airplanes and yeah. flying to, uh, Algeria was a revolutionary Islamic government that was welcoming Black American radicals wanted to give them a place to, to get started and so forth. Uh, I got on a plane with my white wife and went. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember walking down the street and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I write about this in one of, the, one of my books and my wife wearing what was fashionable in New York, a mini skirt and so forth. And, oh yeah. And it was no, almost no, no, a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that over in the Muslim Can't do that. Yeah. So, I was I was a kid. I was not, you know. I uh, I I forgive myself now, but it was uh, I was lucky to to survive. I, to survive that, I think. But there were experiences like that, where I really tried to understand the the militant. I remember seeing Stokely Carmichael speak in St. Louis, uh, and just being moved 
deeply moved by this idea of, of no longer tolerating racism, of, of just simply saying it's not going to happen. And the, the kind of absolute and absolutism in that made sense and still doesn't. I still have that, that, that raw sense of racial pride. No, no, right. we will, um, you know, give me liberty or give me death. And uh, I, I think that that is an attitude that we, we need to nurture today, um, the, to, to be absolute about our freedom and, our, and achieving our equality and so forth. But time went on and I did all sorts of other things and I, I suppose I grew up yeah. and it, it became clear to me that uh, you could have, a black person can have an extremely meaningful life in America. I've spent time in Africa. Um, and um, in, do a little traveling like that, you see how, how good we have it in many ways. This right. is certainly not a perfect world, and it won't ever be. But my God, we are so far ahead, so many uh, opportunities, so much freedom uh, to learn how to handle and deal with um, that we're blessed. Yes. We're, we're truly blessed. Uh, I, it's, it's unfortunate that we had to come <laughs> to this continent via slavery. Right. But we did come to this continent. And uh, Africans have said many times to me, if they had only seized my ancestors, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. then I'd be an American like you. Right, right. Uh, it's funny, but it's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Steele, if President uh, uh, Trump called you and he said, Shelby, I'm going to send Air Force One to California to pick you up. I need you to come to the Oval Office. I need to talk to you about race relations and everything that's going on in this country. What advice would you give the president? Well, actually, sometimes I've talked to people, to uh, people in the administration mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, and my advice, I think, has been pretty clear. Um, what if you're going if you want to communicate with black america which by the way i think trump does and and should um he doesn't have a background it gives him a lot of range and so forth but all that aside um i think the, the possibilities for him are enormous um and um my my point was that in order to do that and do it effectively I think what is important is that you communicate to black Americans that you give them witness. Mm -hmm. You witness the, the long, uh, inconceivable suffering that this, this group of human beings went through, uh, what they've had to endure, how strong they must be in order right. to have survived that, how, how they are deserving of the admiration of, of Americans. Um, and then start to talk about what you think uh, the way ahead ought to be. But you have to give some witness to, uh, to the Black American experience, which is a profound uh, experience and produce uh, cultural innovations that um, Walking down the street in Poland once, saw on a bus. I'm coming down the main street of mm -hmm. Warsaw, a picture of Jay Z. <laughs> 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 uh, 
we're all, I mean, it's, it, it, there's something about black American culture that yes. is just uh, non-stoppable. It's, it's took, it takes over the world. Well, you're talking about a, America needs to hear these things and, and to understand that there's the innovation, the tenacity, the refusal to give up, to be defeated, to be uh, exterminated really, uh, is, is one of the great human stories. And it ought to be featured as such and uh, give some witness to it. Um, I, the, big, the, the statement I love by, by uh, uh, Trump the most which is one that many people like is when he, he said to black Americans, black church in Harlem, what have you got to lose? <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that statement because it has respect. He's, he says, I respect you. You have to respect yourself. What have you got to lose? Uh, I, 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 could talk, I could talk in a sort of pandering way and patronize you and say, oh my gosh, we, we have high hopes for some new, some new uh, social program or other. We'll give you cell phones or some other humiliating, uh, condescending kind of, of public policy. Uh, I respect you. You, um, uh, you know, my favorite black leader of all time is Frederick Douglass, who asked after after emancipation, "Well, we just freed the blacks now. What are we going to do with them?" And his answer was, "Leave us alone." Very, uh, we, very we conservative. Need some, we need that that idea that, in order to say that. You have to have faith in your people. Right. You have to believe that when left alone, they will take charge and will prevail and will do everything they need to do to compete in the, in the world. Uh, I think our, our view of race, our, uh, the way we think about it, needs to come from that understanding of things. Mm -hmm. um, that challenges are what make you strong. Uh, you, don't, you don't want... What does welfare do? Welfare says you are eternally weak. You'll never make it. You can't be responsible. You're some inferior sort of, sort of uh, person. And so in a, in a sense, the government is, treats us as, as the slave owner did. As, as we, we, some people who can't, who can't make it on their right. own. Uh, well, we need, there's my black militancy. Right. My black pride, and, I, and I'm glad I went through that period in life, um, uh, as fruitless as it, as it ultimately turned out to be. Uh, it gave me an understanding. One of the reasons America is a great country is that it has always fought to the death. We have to become a people that will fight for ourselves to the death. We will fight. We, we, we will take on that, that kind of animating responsibility that, that uh, otherwise you, you, you can't, you know, you're just uh, trying to watch my language here, but you're debilitated <laughs> right. and you're weakened and you're always in need of help from some superior. Uh, that's what we have to focus on. You know, Dr. Steele, I said this, I think when you were here in St. Louis or one of our conversations, that I think African-Americans are making one of the biggest mistakes we can make with this president. 
this president, and I mean, I don't mean this in a negative way, but he's a narcissist. Um, he likes to be the first at things. He likes to be able to say he's the first at things. I think African-Americans should be using that aspect of Donald Trump's uh, personality to get as much as uh, the African-American can from Donald Trump and from the government. I, I think if, if, if the Congressional Black Caucus or black leaders showed him uh, a half measure of respect, and and show that they wanted to kind of work with them. I think Donald Trump would get African would give African Americans practically the world. I think he'd be uh, our best friend. Yep. Um, uh, I, I think he wants to. My sense is that he wants to do that. Um, he has he has pressure from what we call his base, right? Uh, and and there is the sense that that he's he's afraid to to. Uh, jeopardize his his um goodwill with that that base uh but i don't think that's true i i i think that uh he he can only be expanded um and and, and he is listening his speech uh, uh a few weeks ago um oh, where was south dakota um oh the uh at, at mount rushmore mount rushmore yes. I thought was a just a a, a a wonderful speech and and extremely respectful. I think he listened a little bit to what I, um, <laughs> extremely respectful to Black Americans, naming Harriet Tubman and Frederick sure. Douglass and and others. Boy, I've never heard those names come out of his mouth before. Um, so I I think that there's an opportunity there for both sides, for him and for us. Uh, all we have to do is, is uh, just encourage him, um, you know, and, and, and participate. I think what we have to, you know, there's one thing blacks have to do is, is play politics, but we also have the much larger, more important challenge of development. Mm. We have to, our, look, our educational liability at this point is profound, keeps us, keeps, we need to focus on our own development and i think we we might we would be wise to then enlist him in that effort and in terms of inspiring us opening the way to to development uh not to winning racial preferences and and all this sort of thing but uh improving the education that we get the, the every black kid in america should be able to read by the fourth grade you can't read by the fourth grade, you're going to have a tougher life. White, black, or otherwise. Correct. That ought to be our number one, <laughs> our, our number one goal. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Shelby Steele. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star review at Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.